At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. morning we're in first corinthians chapter 7 we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 38 this morning but i'm going to read verses 29 through 35 and then pray over our time in the word and then we're going to kind of launch in and study it together it's what the apostle paul writes this is what i mean brothers the appointed time has grown very short From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they are not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, I'm reminded of the words your your son spoke in quoting from the Old Testament, that man does not live by bread alone, but on the very words of God. God, it's how easily we find and seek to find our sustenance and the sustaining for our life in far lesser things when you are the source you are what satisfies you are what our lives were created for and what they're meant to be dependent on and so god as we come now as your people to study your word we recognize even this week the many times even my own heart where we have failed to find our sustenance in you and have looked to lesser things we're thankful for the grace of jesus that covers us in our sinfulness that draws us back into your love and in relationship. And so out of that grace, we ask that you would once again come and speak to us your sustaining word, that you would nourish our hearts this morning, our very souls, that we would find our life, the center of our very being on you. Draw us deeper into your reality. Draw us deeper into your truth. Align us to your ways. Help us to live for your glory. As we sang, we ask that it would be true, that you would be magnified in this place. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you magnify Christ through the preaching of his word, I pray. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen. So it's one of those comments that kind of hits you in the face and kind of makes you rethink things all of a sudden in one moment. 
I was uh, sitting in my office having a conversation with someone from our church family about some of the recent teaching that I had been doing. This was a little while back. And, uh, and they just made the kind of comment as we were discussing it. They said, Jacob, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that in your teaching, you pull a lot of your illustrations and a lot of your applications from your own life. And that part of what you do in that is you draw a lot on what it looks like to be married and your kids and that reality. But she said, I'm just kind of struggling because I'm not married and I'm not planning to be anytime soon, and I don't have any kids. And so I feel like there's always this lens that moves towards applying God's word in that vein. But I'm single, and I don't always know how to reconcile that reality with some of your teaching. And I'll be honest, my first initial reaction was to get defensive, right? I was like, no, I, I try to teach for everybody. I try to draw examples from all of life. I try to, try to be relevant to wherever people are coming from. But as I sat there and thought about it for a moment, I realized that in a lot of my teaching, I skew towards the reality of being married and having kids. Now, I have some reasons for that. One, I've never really been good at being single. I was, met my wife my freshman year of college. We got married before we even graduated, and I've been married for 16 years now. So the majority of my adult life has been in a committed relationship. Beyond that, when I was early in ministry, I, uh, one of my first ministry roles was actually to be the pastor over the marriage ministry at the church that I was serving at. So early on, I had to think through the lens of what does God's word say about marriage? How do we help people live married life? How do we help them be successful in what God has called them into? And I knew the Bible talked about singleness, but I never thought much deeper than that. I never really reflected or dug into it. And as we sat there that day, I realized that oftentimes I skewed probably in a direction that missed a large chunk of our church family. The reality is, though, I don't think I'm the only one often that might feel that skew that the church can lead towards. When we launched this series asking for a friend, we submitted through social media kind of our congregation to say, what questions do you have about faith and scripture and life? And one of the major categories that we got back in the questions that were given to us was related to the reality of singleness. In fact, it was one of the top categories of questions that we had. Let me just show you some of the questions that we receive from people as it relates to that issue. I could show you a bunch. I'll show you a few. Why does it feel like the church idolizes marriage and having kids? Is that really the end goal? How can I practice being content or satisfied in my singleness even though I have a strong desire for marriage? How do I know if God is calling me to a life of singleness? What is one thing singles should be doing in this season of their life that they aren't? Why does Woodside never talk about singles or singleness at any age? Half your congregation is single, yet you only talk about being married or having a kids or family. So as you can see, there were a lot of questions, a lot of things. What does God's word have to actually say about singleness? And so given the opportunity, I felt like I wanted to lean into that with our church family to say, what does God's word say about it? And what can we know? I want that for my own heart and for all of us. I think it's important. And as I was reflecting on it, I realized part of the reason that I think this category, these questions is so important is the fact 
that not every single one of us will experience marriage, but every single person experiences singleness. No one is born married. Everyone is single at some point. Some early, some later, for various reasons. Singleness comes in different things. Jesus points in Matthew 19 that there's various reasons people find themselves in the reality of singleness. But all of us experience that singleness at some point. And so we, to be a healthy community, should be well adept in what God's vision and what God has to say about such an important reality that everyone experiences. So this morning, I want to look at what does the Bible say about singleness? Now, I can't say everything the Bible says about singleness, but what I answer that question, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth. Corinth is a large cosmopolitan city in Greece. It was one of the larger cities in the ancient Roman Empire. It was a trade route, so it had lots of people from various places, and a church had formed there. And this church was, how do we say it, a hot mess. They had all sorts of issues. Everything from spiritual gifts to sexuality, to you name it. So Paul writes a letter to the church in essentially to deal with all these different issues that they're facing. And in the middle of that letter, he deals with some questions that they have related to sexuality, singleness, and marriage. And as Paul begins to unpack that, he kind of provides for them, and I think for us, both a framework of how we think of singleness and marriage, and then also some reasons for why and what God's vision is for singleness. Let's start with the framework. So 1 Corinthians 7, he's unpacking this question, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am. When Paul says that, he's referencing his singleness, the reality that he's a single adult in the context of marriage and singleness in that phrase. But then he says this, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. As Paul unpacks the reality of marriage and singleness, his starting point is to say, yeah, I wish everyone was single as me, and we're going to see why he says that in a minute. But he recognizes that every person has their own gift. And in that, he kind of gives the major framework for how he thinks of marriage and singleness, that they are gifts from God. Now, we're talking about singleness today to marriage. So I think if we looked at that lens through singleness, one of the things you're going to see in this passage and kind of the reality I want you to realize today is that singleness is actually a gracious gift of God. Singleness is a gracious gift of God. Now, you, you might already be thinking, some of you, how is singleness a gift? Some of you might even think, like, it doesn't feel like a gift sometimes. And what am I supposed to do if I'm single but I don't feel like a desire to be? Does that mean I don't have the gift? Well, I, I think it's helpful to recognize a few things that it relates to the reality of the framework Paul gives. One, Paul, when he says singleness is a gift, does not make singleness a gift and marriage not a gift. And it's not vice versa. Marriage is not a gift and singleness is not a gift. Or, you got it. His point is they're both gifts. Whatever your relational reality is, they're, they're both gifts. And in recognizing that then, there's a couple things that I think we see. First is, the gift is ultimately related to your relational reality, not your inward feeling. 
So oftentimes it comes like, well, what does it mean if I have the gift of singleness? Well, it's a simple question. Are you single? If you're single, you have the gift. If you're married, you have that gift. And that doesn't mean God might not give you another gift, right? You might not enter into the gift of marriage at one point or back into a gift of singleness. But what your relational reality is the gift itself. And you're going to see why Paul sees singleness as such a gracious gift. The second thing in recognizing singleness is a gift is singleness is not related to your identity. It's not related to your identity. It's not that marriage is an ideal and singleness is less than that ideal. So if you're single, then there must be something wrong with you. That is not how Paul views singleness. It's not related to your identity. Being married is not better than being single. Seeing single is not better than being married. They're both gifts from God given for his specific purposes. Seeing this helps us to realize that singleness is not a less than reality. Singleness says nothing and communicates nothing about your worth, your value, your sanctification, your maturity. There are immature married people and there are immature single people. It doesn't matter the gift you've been given, right? And so because singleness is a gift, it's something that should be embraced and affirmed by the church. But in recognizing singleness as a gift, I think a natural question that follows is, why does God gift singleness? Why does he give this relational reality to some people in certain seasons and places, and for some, their entire life? Because singleness can be challenging for a number of reasons, just like marriage can be as well. And so there's times where singleness doesn't feel like a gift. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to look at it and say, well, God, like, how is this actually a gracious gift of God? Well, this morning, Paul's going to help us, I think, see three realities of how singleness is a gracious gift. So he leaves verse 6 and 7, and he kind of deals with the reality that he desires for everyone to live as they are called, to what God has put and called them to. And in verse 25, he comes back to specifically dealing with people in relationship to their singleness. Look, look at verse 25 with me. He says, Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So Paul's now in 25, he's addressing the betrothed. And this is a specific group of people. The literal Greek word is the word for virgin. But it refers to a relational reality that's much more prevalent in the ancient world. It has ties and connections to our world. But um, in, in Paul's day, there was no Tinder or Bumble or whatever you use to, to find someone to date and marry. The majority of marriages in Paul's day were arranged marriages. And arranged marriages happened for lots of reasons, family connections, sociopolitical reasons, money, all, all sorts of different things. But generally, when someone moved towards marriage, it was arranged by their family, and they would enter into a season of betrothal, which was like our engagement, but a little bit more legally binding because it involved your family and all sorts of things. And then you would move from that place to actually, after a period of time, into actually being married. 
So the people Paul begins addressing here are people who are in a committed relationship. If you were going to translate that in our day, it's probably somebody who's been dating for a significant time or who is engaged. And essentially what Paul is going to say here is, I want you to remain as you are, but I really want you to consider singleness. It was natural in their day. You're betrothed, you get married. That's where this thing is headed, right? Like you, you don't get engaged and then not. Well, I guess you do, didn't we, babe? Oops, sorry. That's another story for another time. But the point is, they're moving in this direction. And Paul wants to say, I want you, even though this is the natural course of things, I want you to consider singleness. And so he begins to lay out for them some of the value of singleness to help them consider why God might give that to them as a gift to pursue. So look what he says, right? Are you bound to a wife? Do not to be seek free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman married, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they are not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul recognizes two realities in this. He recognizes that there's present distresses that the community of Christ followers are are facing, and he recognizes that the time is short, that we're in the last days awaiting Christ's return. And he essentially says, in light of that, I want you to make Christ your focus. And as Christ is your focus, right, you need to embrace what God has called you to specifically relationally. And he highlights then in that, that one of the gifts of singleness in light of the present distress, in light of the time that it's short, is that it avoids, as Paul says, certain worldly troubles. Part of why singleness is a gracious gift of God is that it avoids certain worldly troubles. Now, Paul does not give us the specifics of exactly what worldly troubles he's stating, right? He doesn't say it avoids certain worldly troubles. It avoids this problem in marriage and this problem in marriage and this problem in marriage. Because his point is he wants his audience to consider and recognize in light of their specific context, because every context is slightly different, that there's a certain reality because of our culture that puts certain pressures on marriage and it puts certain pressures on singleness. But singleness avoids some of the pressures and relational realities of marriage. So I can't give you a list and say, well, part of the gift of singleness is that it avoids this, 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 and this. That's not what Paul is saying. But he wants you to consider that there is a gift access aspect to singleness because in that you avoid certain troubles that are inherent in marriage. Sam Alberry in his book, Sam is a, a pastor of a church outside Nashville and the editor for the Gospel Coalition um, and a brilliant thinker. Um, and Sam has been uh, a single man for his adult life and has thought a lot deeply about this aspect. He wrote a book called Seven Myths of Singleness. And in that book, he addresses the reality of some of the troubles that marriage avoids, some of the troubles that come inherent in relationship and navigating marriage, some of the troubles that can come with having and raising children, some of the unique pains that marriage faces that singleness does not. But as he kind of highlights that, he notes this, and I think it's an important reality in light of what Paul says this. He says at one point in the book that the temptation 
for many who are single is to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And the temptation for some married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem greener on the other side. Whichever gift we have, marriage or singleness, the other can easily seem far more attractive. I think one of the things that Alberry reminds us of, again here, is that it's too easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that somehow marriage is the ideal and singleness isn't. And when that's the case, we can too easily as a community just look at the positives of marriage and then only discuss the challenges or negatives of singleness. But when you compare those you'd fail to recognize that there are inherent challenges in marriage itself, amen, married people, and there's specific blessings that come in singleness that you don't experience when you're married. You cannot just look at the challenges of one in comparison to the blessings of the other. If they're both gifts, you must look at the blessings and challenge that each contains uniquely in the gift itself. So if you are single here... Have you recognized that there is a certain gift in your singleness that you get to avoid certain troubles in your life? That there is a blessing, actually. Don't just look at the challenges. Look also at the blessing of what your relational reality is. If you struggle with that, maybe follow the Apostle Paul's lead here and take some time, maybe even this week, to just recognize, what are some of the blessings I have as a single person? What are some of the things inherent in it? It's easy. I know it's a challenge. I know there are challenges to singleness. Last week, I was at Royal Oak teaching on this, and afterwards had a conversation with someone about the reality of loneliness in, 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 in what it means to live as a single person. So I'm not discounting the challenge that you face, but it's too easy to just focus on that without also recognizing the blessing. Married people, same for you, that there are blessings that you should highlight in light of the challenges. Right? Don't, don't compare one to the other. If you're single, don't think that the challenges will find their resolution simply by being married. And if you're married, don't think that the challenges of marriage would simply be easier if you were single. Look at the reality that you're in, recognize the challenge, but also see the blessings that God has. Singleness avoids certain worldly troubles. But even as Paul recognizes how singleness frees us from some worldly troubles, he even then wants to draw us further into not just what it frees us from, but also what it enables. Look what he says in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. Right here is pastoral heart. He wants you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, and then catch this phrase, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul wants us to see, Singleness doesn't just entail a freedom from a negative reality. It actually empowers a positive reality, which is an undivided devotion to Christ. 
he draws this comparison in this section between the married person and the unmarried person. And what he essentially says is the married person, inherent by being married, has to have two focuses. Their attention is divided. They need to be focused on the Lord, but inherent in marriage, they also need to be focused on pleasing and caring for their spouse. And so because of that, they're constantly being pulled between those two directions. But the single person doesn't have that division. That in the reality of singleness is an inherent simplicity to life that actually enables an undivided focus on the Lord. He, he's not trying to make one more spiritual than the other. It's not if singleness is somehow more spiritual. He's just recognizing that singleness has an inherent simplicity to it. I, I was reminded of this just, just a couple weeks ago because I got one of those tastes of what it looks like to live single, kind of, because I got to take a guy's weekend trip. So one of my favorite bands was playing a show down in Indiana. They were playing back-to-back -back night. And so a few of a, a couple guys and I went down to see, uh, to see them and kind of spend the weekend down there. And I'll, I'll never forget, we were driving, we were on the way down, and we stopped for gas. And we got out at the gas station uh, to kind of take a break. And I walked into the gas station, and I had this moment where I realized that I was about to buy snacks for only myself. And it was amazing. I was like, hold on, hold on. I'm going to buy these snacks. I don't have to share them with anyone in the car. Like half the bag isn't going to be gone when I pass it to the back seat. Oh my goodness. You mean I'm going to buy snacks and it's not going to cost me $45? Because I've got to buy for five? Like I only get... And that was like the whole weekend. We stopped at food. I ordered what I wanted to eat. We went to bed when I wanted to go to bed. I go to the concert. I'm not worried about who has sunscreen on, if they have enough water, if they're comfortable, if they enjoy the music. I just, for one weekend, got to just focus on me. It was glorious, and it was simple. And that's what Paul's trying to just simply say. Right? I'm not trying to glorify singleness over marriage, or my, I love my family, they're not a drag, or any of that. But he's just trying to say, there's an inherent simplicity to life when you're single. But for Paul, what he wants you to see is that simplicity is actually a gift that's given to you so that you can be even more devoted to the Lord. For Paul, the reality is that the simplicity of life that single adults enjoy gives them the ability to focus their time, their energy, and their talents more wholeheartedly on the Lord. To put it simply, singleness enables you to do things for Christ that married people cannot do. You can do things for Christ that, that married people cannot do. And if you want an example of that, you don't have to look any further than the guy writing the letter. The Apostle Paul is one of the most prolific missionaries, if not the most prolific missionary in the history of Christianity. He spent years traveling and spreading the gospel of Jesus and planting churches around the Roman Empire at the time, having a massive impact in the spread of the gospel. But the reality is, Paul's ministry would not have been possible without the gift of singleness. He traveled like crazy. His schedule was nuts. He would travel to some cities and stay as little as three weeks like he did in Thessalonica. He'd travel to other places like Ephesus where he'd spend a year and a half pouring into pastors and planting and developing church planters. 
He faced constant opposition in the cities that he went to and took massive risks for the gospel, facing things like shipwreck, sickness, imprisonment. Paul even was ultimately killed at the hands of the Roman Empire because of his faith and commitment towards Christ. Could you imagine if Paul tried to do that and the impact that he had, if he had to worry about his wife and kids back home? Or if he had to bring them along? No, he was given the gift of singleness, and that was actually a gift to the ministry that God had called him to. He was able to live with undivided devotion. And that's part of the gift of singleness. And you might be sitting there thinking like, okay, Jacob, but that's like the Apostle Paul. Like, I'm just trying to live as a single adult in 2023 in Farmington Hills, right? I think there's an inherent gift in this for any of you that find yourself single. And I think another example that I see in my life is not just from the Apostle Paul, but I've seen a great example of this in the last 20 years in a, in a good friend of my wife and I is named Lauren. And I wish you could meet Lauren. She doesn't live here. She lives back in our hometown of Akron. But uh, my wife and I met Lauren when we were freshmen in college, and she was part of the leadership of the Navigator Ministry that we were uh, a part of. And we've known Lauren now for 20 years. She's been a good friend to Alicia and a friend to us and a friend to our whole family. And as, and as I've watched Lauren over these last 20 years, I've watched an example of someone who's lived her adult life as a single adult, but has used that to have an incredible impact for Jesus and do things that me as a married person would not be able to do. For instance, many years ago, prior to coming to Woodside, the church I was a part of began to do work in India with helping educate Dalits, which are the lowest caste system in the country. And we started to work with a ministry there that was helping raise up schools and educate teachers um, specifically to help this group of people. And Lauren, as a single woman uh, and who was also a teacher, found uh, a heart beginning to burgeon for these people, and so she decided to make the choice for many summers in a row to give up a large chunk of her summer, up to six weeks, and travel and live in India to help pour into teachers there, to educate them and encourage them and spur them on. And so regularly for many summers, we would see Lauren leave, and then she'd come back two months later, right? It was like her regular rhythm, but she loved it, and she served Christ. Like many single people, Lauren desired community and relationship and connection, and she recognized that God had given her in her singleness some unique relationships in various areas that she was able to move about for years. And so several years ago, I remember Lauren started these dinners on Friday nights where she would invite people from kind of her walk of life in different places to just come together, share a meal together, and share their stories just to have an opportunity to hear from different people from different places, different backgrounds, different cultures, different things, right? And my wife and I remember enjoying one of those dinners and just sitting down and getting, she would host them and she would just facilitate connection and community among people. She's been a huge servant to our lives and our families. Our kids have known her. We've had relationship over all these years and been a huge blessing to us I think that's one of the great joys of church community is that both in our gift of marriage or our gift of singleness, we can encourage and support one another. That's how we're designed. It's part of the reason we do life groups the way we do. We don't do them by age and life. We do them, or by age and stage. We do them by all of life because we want to have that overlap. And I've seen the blessing of that. And I've seen around here many people who use the gift of singleness to serve the Lord, to serve our church, to serve our community. We honor you. We're thankful for the example that you give to us. 
And I think what Paul reminds us of is that your singleness is a gift to empower that undivided devotion. The question, though, that I think we have to consider is, in recognizing that singleness enables an undivided motion, is am I using the gift that God has given me in my singleness to serve him or to serve myself? The reality is, due to the inherent simplicity that's given in singleness, it can be easily used just to serve us. But Paul wants to encourage you to see that gift as an opportunity to serve the Lord and do things that, other, that married people might not be able to do. Do you recognize that blessing that you have and the flexibility that God has given you? Right? For, for instance... And I'll give my caveat, because I always want to be careful, because I know this isn't perfect in every example. So you can come argue with me if you later if you need to. But the reality is, if you are single this morning, you get part of the blessing of your life is being able to do what you want when you want to do it. Within reason, okay? Within reason. I get it. We all have pressures. We all have expectations. Within reason, though. Right? You're not checking your spouse's calendar for how you plan your schedule. And if you're single, you also have the blessing of being able to spend your money how you want to spend it and when you want to spend it. The obligations that you inherit in your finances are yours. I don't have that freedom as a married man with kids. Because apparently, in order for anyone to play athletics today, you have to spend a million dollars. I don't know when this became the case. I don't know when it moved from like you just get soccer cleats, shin guards, and a ball to like you have to have four wristbands. It costs $100. You have to play for every tournament, hotel rooms, and travel in order to just to compete in athletics. But apparently this is the reality because all my money seems to go to athletics today, right? Like this is the reality. I don't have that freedom and choice. You do. Praise God. But all I'm trying to say is there's within reason you've been given a gift. That simplicity now, you can use that gift for yourself, right? You, you can become the greatest Call of Duty player that's ever played the game, and you can have a setup that costs $500,000 in your basement that every guy's jealous of. You can travel the world and eat, pray, love till your heart is content, and you have every experience around the world. You can't. You have that freedom. No one's checking on you. But you also have the freedom to encourage people that I can't encourage. To sacrifice and do things that I can't do. That you can make much of the glory of Jesus Christ and live with an undivided devotion towards him in incredible ways. That's not a drag. That's not a guilt trip for you. That's an opportunity. You get a unique opportunity to make much of Christ. I hope, I hope that you pursue that. But even as Paul reminds us that singleness helps avoid certain troubles, it enables us to have a certain devotion. He closes this section, I think, by highlighting one of the main key parts and glories of the gift of singleness. Look what he says in verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, and if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, 
being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Now catch what he says in 38 here. So then he who marries his betrothed, right? So this is someone in the in-between. If you go on to get married, he has, sorry, I lost my place, he uh, does well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, why does Paul say that? What is Paul driving at? Because in verse 36, he kind of brings up this issue that's inherent in the reality of singleness, which is the issue of sex and sexual desire. And he essentially is talking, remember, he's not just talking to someone who's in no relationship. They're in this in-between relational reality. So imagine they're dating, they're engaged. And he's saying, well, well, essentially, if the call is toward singleness, what do I do if I feel this growing reality of sexual desire that happens or this pursuit of, per, of this person? And Paul essentially says, if you begin to experience that, it's okay to go ahead and get married. But if you don't, if there's a certain element of grace and self-control inherent and reality in, the, in your heart that you find, you will even do better than that. So I think what Paul's trying to drive at here, if, if I was to get a summary of what I think he's going for, is he's reminding us that why in some ways singleness is better, right? It's, he's not glorifying it, but he's encouraging us to consider it, is because he wants us to see that singleness experiences a unique aspect of God's empowering grace. It experiences a unique aspect of God's empowering grace. That inherent in singleness is this place where we find the grace of God to provide for the life that he's called us to. And we find a unique sufficiency in him. I don't think what Paul's trying to say here is, do you like sex or not? That should make the determination of whether you're single or not single. I mean, I've heard that. I've, I've literally heard people say, like, well, I like sex. That's why I can't be single. And I'm like, every single person, no one doesn't like sex. Like, that's just part, that's not the determining factor. And that's a terrible reason to get married. Like, if the advice to your kid is, like, you should get married because you like sex. I'm like, well, that's going to just make that marriage about something way less. I don't think that's what Paul's trying to say here. I think what he's trying to say is, what is the empowering grace of God given you to enable the life that he's called you to. So if we're going to seek to pursue the life he's called us to, the starting point isn't my desire. The starting point is the grace of God. And have I experienced and pursued the grace of God for the life that I find myself in? So if you're single, the starting point isn't your sexual desire. The starting point is, have I pursued God's grace and contentment where I'm at? Because that's the reality for all of life. That we need God's grace to empower. Remember, even self-control in the scriptures is ultimately a fruit of the Spirit. It's not willpower here. It's not our effort. It's that God gifts us out of his spirit the ability, as Paul points towards here, to live towards that contentment, to be settled in our racial, relational reality, to pursue and see his continue to empower what he has given to us. And when that becomes the case, when singleness is pursued and the grace of God experienced, it points to an even greater reality of the gospel. 
Again, Sam Albury is so helpful here. He writes this, both marriage and singleness testify to the gospel. Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel in that it models the covenant promises that God has made us in Christ. But right, catch this, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to, which is our relationship with Jesus. You see, when you live, if you're single, if you live in that place where you find the empowering presence of God's grace, you become an incredible witness, an incredible witness to the sufficiency of God. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's how we're meant to live. We're designed and created to find our identity, our purpose, our sustenance in God alone. We, we don't have to look any farther to know that that is true than our Savior, who lived his entire life as a single man, never entered into a relationship, never entered into a sexual relationship, was never married, and yet was the fullness of humanity on display to show us that at the end of the day, our life and purpose and identity and sufficiency is found in God, not in another person. So single people, when you live empowered by God's grace, receiving that gift, like Christ, you become an incredible witness to the community within and without of the sufficiency and goodness of Jesus. And we need that reminder because we all have a tendency to take things that are less than God and try to find our sufficiency in those things. But they're always left wanting. And we need the reminder that our sufficiency is found in Christ alone. And when you pursue that in your singleness, you bear a powerful witness to the world. You bear a powerful witness to me as a married man because I need reminders from time to time that my sufficiency is not found within my spouse. Because if you put that burden on another person, you will ruin your marriage faster than anything. No person is meant to be the place that your soul finds its satisfaction in, that your life finds its purpose in, that your vision finds its fulfillment in. That is only meant to be Christ. And so when you live that way as a single adult, you bear testimony to the rest of us not to make marriage an idol or anything else an idol, but to make Christ alone the one that we worship and pursue. You become powerful to us. And that's why it's important. That's why singleness needs to be valued as the church. That's why it needs to be pursued as a gift by some of you. Not because you're meant to be ashamed in your singleness, because God's given you a gift to use to make much of his name. And at the end of the day, that's what this whole thing is about, to glorify Christ. And so please, please, don't see singleness as a burden. If you're single here this morning, there might be a variety of reasons for why you find yourself. And I am not negating the challenges that come. That's part of why the church wants to come alongside and encourage all of us in the challenges that we face. But if you find yourself in that place, do not miss that it is a gracious gift of God. And as a gracious gift of God, it provides a unique and incredible opportunity for you to make much of him. My prayer, my prayer as your pastor is that you would use that opportunity to glorify Christ. In fact, let me just pray for you right now. Father, we begin just in response by first of all thanking you that you are sufficient. 
I think of those old words of Augustine, Lord, that you created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Thank you, God, that in you and you alone, we find that rest. We find that peace, that purpose, that identity, that sufficiency that our hearts desire. How great are you, God, eternal in your nature so that you would satisfy our hearts, not just temporary or for a bit, but for all eternity we will enjoy satisfying ourselves in you. And gracious are you, Lord, and we are thankful that in that you would do the work to draw us back to yourself. We recognize our sinful hearts so easily seek to find satisfaction in lesser things. So God, would you help all of us in this moment to turn our gaze and our hearts back towards finding our satisfaction in you, our purpose in you. To recognize how easily we make something else the goal of our life when it's meant to be Christ. We're sorry for that, Lord. We're thankful for a grace that covers that sin and draws us back to you. God, I pray for those that are single in this room. I pray that you would continue to work in their heart. Thank you for the witness they provide to us of the sufficiency of Christ. Continue to help them set their hearts on him and him alone, to see him as the best thing in life. God, for those that are married in this room, how easily we can turn another person and put them in a place that only meant you are meant to occupy. Help us to turn from that and again set our hearts towards Christ to see him as better. That each one of us this morning, Lord, would you draw us to that place in our minds and in our hearts to truly trust in your satisfying work by what you've done for us in your death and resurrection, Jesus. Even now, as we just sing this song of response, declaring that you're better, would you use it not only as a way to declare the truth, but also align our hearts and lives to it? And through that, Jesus, would you be glorified, we pray. Spirit, we just invite you to do your work now in our hearts and our lives, and we ask this all in Jesus' good name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.